everybody. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit, uh, a little bit different. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter sixteen. I know I say that. I was thinking the other day. I say that every week that if you got your Bibles, but I really do hope you got your Bibles. Um, don't just look at what I put on the screen. I can, I can put anything up there. Right? Open your Bibles. Look at the Bible. Read the Bible. Get used to that. Um, make sure that the person that's teaching you is saying. What, it, what's in the Bible, right? So, so it's, I think that's important. Uh, chapter 16, uh, verses 14 through 18. Now, I said last week that today we would start with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but something happened this week, and I got waylaid a little bit. Let me, let me explain what happened first. Now, if you got your Bibles open, you'll remember that last week we looked at the parable of the rich, uh, I'm sorry, of the dishonest manager. Now that is that is in verses one through thirteen, and this is a parable, of course, about about money and and specifically how we should use our money in a clever way. The world uses it in clever ways to secure a temporary future. Jesus says you should at least be that clever in the sense that we should be using our money as Christians to secure a an eternal future. And so that that parable, of course. It's all about, um, about money. Now, this week, I told you last week, I'm gonna, uh, my next parable in line is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so I, I begin to get ready to go to this parable, and I do what I always do, and that is I look at it in context, right? We, we, we preach this over and over. You always read Scripture in context. You can't pull Scripture out. If I was to sit here this morning and say the word fire, what do I mean? Do I mean fire a gun? Do I mean we need to run from a, a burning fire? Is it a noun? Is it a verb? You don't know, because why? You have no context, right? Words only have meaning in context. Well, the Bible, that's, it's the same in the Bible. We have to understand, I want to know where Jesus was when he was talking. I want to know who he was talking to. I want to know, is he on a mountain? Is he in the temple? I want to know, what, where is he? So I can get context for his words. And so... What I do is when I get ready to teach a lesson, I read the, the verses that come in front of it, and I read the verses that come behind it. I, I want to know what the context is. Now, in getting ready for context, I read, of course, the verses immediately preceding this parable. And remember, verses 1 through 13 of the parable of the dishonest manager. And then in verse 14, you find these verses... The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, verses 14 through 18, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, but since then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband, husband commits adultery. And then in verse 19, he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. He goes right into the parable of the rich man. So at the beginning of the chapter, you got a parable about money. And then at the, at the rest of the chapter, you got a parable about money and wealth and all that. And then right in the middle, you got these five verses. Now, 
I read them, and my first reaction was, huh? <laughs> what is he talking about? Where, do, where does divorce come into this? Where, where does that even come from? And I thought, well, you know, I don't really understand what he's talking about here, but I'll just skip them. Right after all, this is, a, this is a study in the parables of Jesus, not the verses that come between the parables of Jesus, right? I mean, I can't, you can't teach everything. So I, I, I actually went and sat down Monday and started working on the parable of the rich man. And, and the more I worked on it, I kept thinking, well, what does that mean? I just couldn't get away from it. What, what does those verses mean? And, and so I finally decided, okay, well, I know what I'll do. I'll give myself ten slides. I'll give myself ten minutes to, to figure out what those verses mean, and then I'll teach on that, and then I'll get right to the parable. And then those ten verses became tw- those ten slides became twenty, twenty became forty, and the forty became an entire lesson. And boy, when I was done, I was really glad I took the time to do it. And so I think there's an important lesson here, uh, even though this is today's lesson will not be necessarily about a parable of the rich man. It's going to have a, I think, a profound message. For, for you and I. So let, I'm going to walk through today verses 14 through 18 and we're going to figure out, are these just, they just seem out of context, don't they? I mean, they just, but see, the Gospels aren't like Proverbs. Proverbs can throw up, you know, all these little things and they're just different, but the Gospels are connected. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, oh, by while I'm talking, just understand that this teaching about divorce. Or no, he doesn't do that. It's all got context. So how do these things uh, go together. So let's let's look at if you got again if you got your Bibles, follow along with me. Let's begin in verse 14, and it all begins with the Pharisees' reaction. And by the way, this is a comment from Luke. This is not the words of Jesus. This is Luke saying this in verse 14 after Jesus has has told the parable of the dishonest manager. Luke says this: the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, they scorned him, they, they derided him. Now, one of the things that Luke wants us to see is that the Pharisees are motivated by money. They love money. It's not, they don't love God. That's not what they're in it for. They're in it because they love money. They see religion as a... a, a we'll let him get out or not. Does anybody know who he belongs to? Oh, there we go. Can somebody grab him? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, so they're, they're motivated by money, right? So they, they, they're in it. They're not in it because they love God. They're in it because they uh, absolutely love money. They see religion as a way to become financially comfortable. They're, they're like these men in, in 1 Timothy 6 who, who Paul says they see godliness um, as a means of gain. We see this on TV today. There are people, we all know this, who are in Christianity, who are they're in religion, they're in all this, and they're in it for one reason, that's because it's a way to make money. So that's, that's what Luke is saying about these. So these guys love money, and they've been listening to this parable about, from Jesus about money, and when it's all said and done they react with ridicule. Now, why do they do this? Well, because they're indicted by His words. We've all been there, right, in our own lives from time to time. Somebody catches you in something, and instead of just admitting to it, you, you react with anger. You react with animosity. You, you, you want to kind of, you blow up 
so, the, so who you really are kind of gets hid behind the scenes. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. John, Jesus said this in John chapter 3, everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And they don't come to the light lest their work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen his works have been carried out in God. Jesus says there are two types of people in this world. On one side, you got people who know God. They, they belong to God. They have the life of God in them. And when they hear the truth of God, they don't run from it. They run to it. There's no shame, right? They, they, they'll run to the light. They have no problem with that at all. But on the other hand, is a group of people who don't know God. They don't have His life in, him, in them. They don't belong to Him. And when they hear truth, sometimes they can react with anger, animosity, ridicule, scorn. It's like, you know, the other day I've got a shop outside back of my house and I keep some goat food and chicken food in there and every once in a while I go in there at night and turn on the light and guess what? Some of the roaches go everywhere, buddy. They scatter, you know, they've been out there having a feast on my chicken food and they're gone. They scatter. They're getting away from that light. But you see, human beings can't do that. We can't run and hide from the truth. So what do we do? We lash out. We ridicule. We use our words to justify ourselves. We kind of build a screen with our words because we can't just run and hide under a rock. So we ridicule. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Now, Jesus could have ignored this. He could have just said, you know, them Pharisees, that's what they always do. He could have just moved right on. Let me tell you a parable about a, about a rich man in Lazarus. But he doesn't. He takes four verses and he comments on who they are and what they're doing. And this is, this is the crux of the matter here today. Now, again, what he does is he immediately does what he always do. He diagnoses the problem. You know, I was thinking the other day, we, we tend to be so careful about we, what we say and do sometimes, but Jesus, if you ever notice, he just completely gets to the point, right? Nicodemus comes to him and he comes to him with flattery, right? Oh, oh, Jesus, we know you're a teacher sent from God, or else you couldn't do the things you do. And Jesus says, you got to be born again, son. He doesn't even, he just blows away. He doesn't care about flattery. See, the Pharisees come to him with ridicule, and they're ridiculing him. He doesn't care about that. He just, it doesn't bother him at all. It's got nothing to do with, that's not a point. See, the point is their heart is not right. And he immediately goes to that. Now, let's look at what he says in verse 15. And he said to them, you are those kind of people who justify yourselves in front of men but God knows what's inside of you. You look good in front of men. You say the right things in front of men. Everything you do is for men to see you, for the praise of men, for the love of men. But he says, God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Paul says this in, in Romans 10 about the Jews, men like the Pharisees. He says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own, and they do not submit to God's righteousness. You see, when, when Jesus says to them, you are those kind of people that try to justify yourselves, he's talking about them. You justify yourselves because you don't understand the righteousness of God. See, they don't understand that God is perfectly holy, and he requires perfect holiness from us. 
That's what He requires. They don't understand that, that God's righteousness always begins inside with the heart. It's not about following this rule, following that rule, following that rule. It's about a heart that's clean and pure. Right? That's, that's where God's righteousness starts. Well, the Pharisees have no concept of this. They're, they think it's all about the, the outside. They don't understand the righteousness of God. So they actually believe that there is some standard that they can follow. And if they follow this standard and they, they obey all these little rules and stuff, that that will make them righteous before God. Now, this standard for them, of course, is what? It's the Old Testament, right? That's their standard. That's, that's what they go by. That's, their, that's these rules and laws and things. If I just do this and this and this, then God will accept me. Okay. Now, Jesus knows this. He knows that's what their standard is. That's what leads to the very next statement. Look at verse 16. So he says to them, because he got, remember, he knows this is your standard. This is what you go by. So he says to them this, The law and the prophets were until John. But since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone forces his way into it. Now, the law and the prophets is just another way to refer to the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, as we all know, was an era of promise. It was all about people would come along and they would promise what was coming. Prophets would predict, this is coming, the kingdom of God is going to come, the Messiah is going to come. And then one day, John the Baptist walks on the scene, and when he does, he signals the end of the era of promise and the beginning of the era of fulfillment. You see, John the Baptist is two people in one man. He's the final representative of the era of promise. He's the final Old Testament prophet. But at the same time, he's the first representative of the era of fulfillment. He's the first New Testament prophet. He, he's two in one. He's the bridge between the old and the new. He's the man. And once he comes on the scene, everything changes. Holding on to that old standard, that's no longer an option. The good news of the kingdom of God is now being preached, Jesus says. Everything is changed. All that standard you guys hold on to, Pharisees, that's all changed. John has come on the scene and, and the good news of the kingdom is being preached and, and all that is, is now changed. The door is wide open. It's available to everyone, but there's only one way in, and that's through me. That's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other standard by which you can, can get in. Now, and then he says this, and it turns out that getting in is not going to be easy. Jesus says everyone has to force their way into it. Now, what does, he, what does he mean by that? He means that getting into the kingdom of God is a struggle. It's hard. No one comes in without the Father granting it, yet it never happens apart from the human will. And the price is absolutely profound. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. In other words, if you want to stay on the road to hell, just do what comes natural, right? Just do what comes natural. You'll, you'll, you'll find your way there. But the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Why is it so hard? 
Why is it so hard to become a Christian? Why is it so hard to find Jesus? Why is it so hard? See, because there's a tremendous battle that must occur inside of every human heart. A battle to crush the pride and a battle to crush the self-will and bring that person to a place of repentance. That's the battle that goes on. It's not a, nobody's trying to necessarily keep you out. It's, you, they don't have to. It's just inside of you. See, that's why you have to strive to fight, Jesus says, to enter in. In Luke 9, 23 to 24, he says this, And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. You've got to die to self every single day, and now come follow me. You want to save your life? You want to become a Christian? Then you've got to lose your life here on this earth. I mean, that's... Listen, a lot of people don't want to do that. See, what he's saying is, you got to get Pharisees, by the way, that stuff like you like, the love of money, that's got to go. This love of the praise of men, that's got to go. That's got to be killed. That's got to be denied. See, that's why it's so hard to get in the kingdom and you got to force your way in because all that stuff inside of you is pulling you back. That's the hardest battle to win is is that fight against pride and self-will and selfishness on the inside. And see, some people just can't fight it. They just don't know how to do it. They don't want to do it, right? But we cannot hold on to those things. Now, I want to stop right here so you can see what he's saying to the Pharisees. They've ridiculed him. And he comes out and he's basically saying, Look, guys, I know you justify yourselves before men. You're using the Old Testament. You think you're okay because you're following these Old Testament standards. But your heart's not right. And ever since John has come along... Things have changed. Now, that almost sounds, does it not, like Jesus is saying that he's doing away with the Old Testament law. Doesn't it almost sound like that? Oh, since John's come along, the good news is being preached. All, you know, the way you guys have justified yourself for years and years, that's all changing. Has it really changed? Have, are we doing away with the Old Testament law? Well, the answer to that is, of course not, which he affirms in the very next statement. See, he wants us and the Pharisees to know that that standard in the Old Testament hasn't changed at all. Look at verse 17. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot, or or the Greek word means stroke of the law, to become void. Now, the contrast he uses here is extreme. He, He thinks of the most massive thing in our mindset which is the universe. For us, it can't get any bigger than the universe. He said it's easier for this whole universe to pass away than for... And and then he picks the thing, the smallest little thing he can possibly think of, which in the... And he compares it to the law, which is a stroke. It's the Greek word korea. The, The stroke, that word means it's the difference between an R and a B. It's the difference between an F and an E. It's one little stroke on that page. And he said it's easier for the whole universe to vanish. It's easier for the whole universe to go away than it is for one stroke of the law not to be fulfilled. So he's not, he's, he, he, what he's saying here, that the law, those standards, they haven't been canceled. They haven't been voided. In fact, they must be fulfilled. All those, all those hard sayings, that all that, those bars that he set, Those laws, they have to be fulfilled. 
and it's easier for the universe to vanish than for one of those things not to happen. Now, I want to step out of there a little bit, and I want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus goes up on the Mount and He sits down. A lot of people come to Him and get, begins to teach. And listen to what He says in Matthew five seventeen through 18. Do not think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Don't think that. I have not come to void them or cancel them or do away with them. I've come to fulfill them. Now that word is a... There's a lot packed into that word. And then, by the way, he says the exact same thing he says to the Pharisees. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not a stroke of that law will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay? Now, what does he mean by fulfilled? Okay? Does it mean... Because, by the way, not everything is a prophecy. Not everything is a promise. Are you with me? There are just some things in there where he says, you shall not murder. That's got nothing. That's a command. And he says all that has to be fulfilled. Now, if you start reading through the, 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 uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you find Jesus repeatedly saying things like this. You have heard it said in the law, but I say to you this, right? We're all familiar with that. And in every case, Jesus takes the law and he raises it higher. That's one of the things I think people think, well, you know, I've got grace and, and all of this and, and God loves me. I can just do whatever I want. No, Jesus is never lowers the bar. He always, he always raises the bar. He, see, He reaches into those standards of the law of Moses and He says, here's what it really means. Whoops. I got fired up on that one, right? Let me go find it here. So, so he reaches into those standards of Moses and he, and he says, this is what it really means. This is the fulfillment of it. I'm, I'm here to make this happen. See, Jesus comes along and says, you have been taught you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you hate, you can't fulfill that law. See, Jesus is saying, I didn't come so you don't kill one another. That's not why I'm here. I came so you don't... I came to change your heart. I didn't just come to change your actions... I came to change your, your heart. I've come to fulfill that law. What it really means is that I don't want you hating one another. He, said, he goes on later, he says, you've been taught that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you even look at a woman to lust on her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. See, he's saying, I didn't come so you don't sleep with other people's wives. I've come to change your mind. I've come to clean your heart, to clean your mind. That's the fulfillment of the law. See, the, the law was out there, and it was just trying... He had a bunch of sinners running around. Nobody's got the Holy Spirit. They all got hard hearts. And the law is just trying to corral them like cats. You understand that? And they're all just running around. The law's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. That was never what the law was about. Can't, can't, can't. Jesus said, I come to fulfill it. I come to, to change your hearts and minds so you'll obey it at its very core, its very root. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm here for. You see, He always raises the standard because he's for, He is a true interpreter of the law. He never looks at a law and says, what can I get away with? 
I hear young people back when, they'll always ask me questions. Well, what if, you know, you say, we well, don't need to do this. Well, what if? What, what about this? See, they're always trying to find loop. We're always trying to find loopholes. Jesus is a true interpreter of law. He says, no, no, this is what it really means, and it always raises the standard. You see, the true interpretation, the true standard of the law is always about the inside. It's always about the heart. He came to change us, to give us the power through the Holy Spirit to, to walk worthy of that calling. Not about it's not about obeying rules. It's about changing our nature, changing our heart, changing who we are. In other words, what, what, what we need to understand is whatever righteousness God required in the Old Testament, He still requires it today. See, He's always required a clean heart. That has never changed. That's why David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's never changed. It's what He's always wanted is a clean and pure heart. That's why God knew in Ezekiel, He prophesied this, Ezekiel did. He says, God says, I will give you, there's coming a day where I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit inside of you. I'm going to take out that hard heart, that heart of stone, and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh, and I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I, I preached on this one time. The Old Testament was so bad, they set up all these, all these laws and standards and the people failed over and over and over and over and over and over again because it was, they couldn't do it. God says it's so bad that one day I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take the situation over. I'm going to come in and I'm going to regenerate you. You're going to be born again. I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit and I'll take care of it. I'll put my Holy Spirit in you and I'll, call, I'll change your nature. So that you're no longer a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to doing what's right. You're going to be a new person, a new creation. You can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. And that's exactly what he did. See, what, what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is this. You, you, you justify yourselves before men. You think because you obey this, these, all these little laws that you got all figured out, that you think you're okay. But if you really affirm the law, you would have embraced John the Baptist. If you really affirm the law, you would recognize me for who I am. If you really affirm the law, you would see here that I'm not, I'm not here to do away with it. I'm here to fulfill it. See, the fact is what he's saying to them, the truth of the matter is you not only reject the prophetic fulfillment of the law, you actually reject the standards of the law. And he's going to prove it to them in verse 18. See, this is what verse 18, it seems completely out of the blue, but it's not at all. What he's going to do is he's proving to these Pharisees, you, you reject the standards of the law. So he picks a law that they absolutely loved to violate. Now I want to stop right there before we read verse 18 and make sure we understand where he's coming from. They're trying to justify themselves, right? They're ridiculing Him because they love money. Jesus comes back and says, you, you justify yourselves according to these Old Testament standards, but your heart's not right. John has come and it's a, there's, there's a new kingdom. The, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached and you've got to force your way into it. But that doesn't void the Old Testament law. It actually fulfills its true standards. 
But it's you Pharisees, you don't recognize and obey those standards that you say you do. Now, let me prove it to you. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband husband commits adultery. Now, when I read that, I was like, what is he? Where does that come from? Why would you, where does that come from? Remember, he, he said, okay, you justify yourselves. Let me throw this out there to you. Now, what's he talking about? Well, I'm going to take you back to the law that the Pharisees went by. This is in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. This is the Old Testament law, and this is the Old Testament law that handles divorce. And I want to read it. It says this, when a man, this is Moses, by the way, writing this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, now that's a key word, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and he puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, okay? Now, first thing I want you to notice, there's not a single command there, is there? No commands. It just says, if this happens, and if this happens, and if this happens. There's no command there. Now, what you need to understand, that word indecency is not adultery. It's not adultery. First of all, it doesn't mean adultery. There's a Hebrew word for adultery. It's not used here. And the other reason we know it's not adultery is because adultery had its own penalty. Two chapters earlier, Deuteronomy 22, 22, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Adultery meant execution. Adultery meant death, not divorce. So when he says a man puts his wife away because he's found some indecency in her, he's not, Moses is not talking about adultery. Adultery had its own penalty, which was death. So we're not talking about an adulterous woman, but we're just talking about somebody, someone who does something that her husband sees as worthy of divorce. And again, there's no command there. The Old Testament's not commending divorce. It just says, if it happens, it happens. And, and it does. It did back then, it does today. Now, why would that law be in the Old Testament? If God does... By the way, go read Malachi. Anybody know what God thinks about divorce? He hates it. Hates it. So why would there be a law that says if a man puts his wife away and gives her a certificate of divorce? And Mark, there's another sister scripture to this that I want to read. And it gives us a little more information. The Pharisees came up to... This is in Mark 10. The Pharisees come up to Jesus one day and they want to test Him. By the way, they're not interested in truth, are they? They're not interested in what the Bible really says or anything like that. They just want to condemn Him. They want to test Him. They come up to Him one day and it says, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now Jesus, the more I study the Bible, I say it all the time, he, He's the smartest man that ever lived. He is just, he, he, the way he does things is just incredible. And I want you to watch what he does. He says, what does Moses say? Now, let me tell you why he said that. Because the Jews loved Moses. They revered Moses. Moses could do no wrong. Now this Jesus, he's from the devil. But, but Moses, I mean that's how they thought. You're, you, you're, you know, you're from the devil. But now Moses, he could do no wrong. So Jesus says... What did Moses say? And they said, by the way, quoting Deuteronomy 24, 
Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, let me tell you why Jesus is so smart. You see, he knew what they would do. He knew they'd quote Deuteronomy. But what he knew something they forgot. The same wrote Moses that wrote Deuteronomy wrote Genesis. See, the same Moses that writes Deuteronomy wrote Genesis. And he, he knew what they would say. And Jesus said to them, you want to know why Moses said that? Because you got a hard heart. Remember Ezekiel? I'm going to take that heart of stone out and put in a heart of flesh. He said, Moses allowed that because you people were so sinful. He understood that in that day and time, there, there was no Holy Spirit that, that resided inside of people. Right? I mean, people were hard-hearted. And, and when people are hard-hearted, divorces are going to happen because they can't live with one another. Moses understood that. So he allowed you that, but I want you to watch. But, 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 Jesus said, the same Moses that wrote Deuteronomy wrote this. From the beginning of creation, and he quotes Genesis 2.24, by the way, which is written by Moses. God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's Jesus quoting Scripture. The next part of this is Jesus saying what he thinks. So, you want to know, is it lawful? So, they are no longer two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, you want to know it's lawful? No. No, it's not lawful. That's, that's what he's saying. You, you ask him. You want to know? Okay, it's not lawful. There's your answer. That's my, that's my comment on that scripture. And he moves on. That's the end of that. Now that is a very, very revealing statement. And I want, here's one of the reasons why. Did you know that statement tells us that there are legal stipulations in the Old Testament law which do not express the ideal will of God? Isn't that, do you understand that? He's saying Moses allowed that because you, you were so hard-hearted. But that's, that's not the way God ever wanted it to be. See, in that day and time, see, I tell people this all the time, they wonder, why did God allow that back then? Why did that stuff go on? Because it's like, the best way I can explain it is this. If you want to teach a kid calculus, you don't throw a five-year-old in there and start teaching them calculus, do you? You start with a number line. And you start with addition and subtraction. Then you add multiplication and division. And then later on you get into algebra. And then you get into trigonometry. And you get into geometry. And eventually, as they've grown and matured and grow up, you, they get to calculus. But, so that's a, when he's dealing with the Jews, he's dealing with five-year-olds. And he has to deal with them on that level in the Old Testament. So he, he, he has to allow things. In other words, he's just trying to manage the cats. He's trying to manage, really, he's trying to manage sin. Don't do this. Oh, oh, don't do that. What are you doing? Get, get back away from there. I mean, they're like, they're crazy, right? But Jesus comes along and says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change you. I'm going to change you inside so that you want to do the right thing. I mean, that's, that's the, you see, now we're in, we're in the calculus, right? We, we've spent ages and eons going through and, and, and G, God telling us who He is and what He believes and what He thinks. And now here we are, and there's going to be a lot expected of us because we've got all that. Well, that's another story. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 24 because I'm running out of time. Remember, Moses has allowed 
a man, he says, if a man gives his wife a certificate of divorce. Verse 2, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife. So this husband found some indecency, by the way, not adultery. Everybody with me? He just finds something wrong with her, puts her away, and she goes and remarries because that's what happens. And then the second husband says, man, I don't what have I got into here? And he kicks her out. Or let's say she dies, and so she's not married again. What is Moses going to say about that? Verse 4, then her former husband who sent her away, here's the command, may not take her again to be his wife because she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. Now, what, what, again, Old Testament law, what, what's going on here? You see, the Old Testament recognizes divorce is going to occur, but it wants them, even in the Old Testament, to understand something very clearly. Remarriage is defilement. If, if In the Old Testament, even if you left, even if he put you away and there was remarriage, it says that's defilement. She's defiled. See, when she remarries, she defiles herself. When, when the man that marries her, he's defiled by, by her defilement. They're all defiling one another, right? See, what Jesus is doing, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, you can't even hate. You've heard it said if you sleep with a woman, I'm telling you if you even look at her and it's in your heart to do it. You say you can, you can get a divorce and remarry, but I say to you, no. No, that's not what the Old Testament said at all. See, he's saying Moses allowed you divorce, but Moses never allowed you to remarry. Moses told you from the beginning that remarriage was defilement. You see, he is flying in the face of a Jewish culture in that day in which was divorce was just considered as permission to remarry. Just, it was just a right. If I divorced, I can, I can remarry. And so they would divorce and remarry and find something wrong with her and divorce and remarry. And they used that law, by the way, to get away with it. So Jesus says this, you want to know the real meaning of the standard of the law of God? Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. That's what the law meant. That's what Moses was, was teaching back then. You see, it fulfills the law. He's raising the bar once again. Now, why is he doing this? Why does he pick divorce? Because he wants the Pharisees to see their hypocrisy. You see, instead of seeing the true meaning of that law, that yes, you know, we understand sometimes people are just going to be at each other, and they, so Moses allowed them to divorce, but he never allowed them to remarry. He said from the very beginning that was defilement. They looked at that passage, and they saw it as absolute and complete permission to divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry as many times as they want. They grabbed onto that one word, indecency, and they ran with it. Now, that word is pretty general, and you can understand what would happen, right? And fortunately for the Pharisees, this guy named Rabbi Hillel came along. And he lived about 50 years before Jesus, and, and he looked at that passage, and he says, oh, this is what it means. And basically, he decided it's up to the man to decide what the word indecency means. 
Now, can you imagine what men did with that? Hard-hearted men, evil men, selfish men. This was the list. Okay, well, she burns your dinner. She's a lousy cook. She uses too much salt, you gone. Right? If she spun in the street, so you some, somebody saw her ankles, oh, she gone. That's, that's just too much. She talked to a man that's not her husband, put her out. She says something unkind about her mother-in-law, she gone. She's infertile, she's barren, she, or, or she gives you a bunch of daughters and don't give you a son. Ah, that, that's it. She's gone. That's, that's the kind of things the Pharisees did. They just put their wives out, whatever. Because, and, and by the way, they never went back to the law and even looked at that word defile. They just grabbed the word indecency and they said, oh, these are all these loopholes and we can do this. And they actually stood before Jesus. Look at us. Look how righteous we are. Look how good we are. And he's like, are you kidding me? That's what this whole thing is about. Are you kidding me? See, in your, you're the ones defiling. You look at me and you say, I'm defiling the law because I go in and eat with sinners? You say, I'm the one defiling the law? Are you kidding me? It's you. That's the reason that he uses this scripture. He's basically saying, look, you accuse me of being a lawbreaker, but it's you that lowered the standards of the law. You accuse me a lawbreaker and you walk, like, walk around like you're somehow these paragons of, of virtue? No. No, look at you. You divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry as, 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 as if it's nothing. Now, I need like three minutes. What is the point of the verse? I want to say this this morning. I know there are people here who've been divorced. And I know divorce can be a point of contention, right? I, I know that. But I want you to understand, please, please, please do not miss this morning the meaning of this because you somehow get caught up. This is not about divorce at all. Jesus is not interrupting his teaching on money to, to, to all of a sudden just make a big teaching about divorce. What he was saying was true, but that's not the point at all. The point this morning is how we hear truth. See, the point of the verses is how these Pharisees can hear the Word of God and twist it and manipulate it to justify themselves. The point is how they can hear a parable about money and then turn around and ridicule Him. They don't hear the truth. See, guys, that's why these verses I stop because it's such a lesson to us. We've been here for almost eight months. And we listen, come in Sunday morning and we listen to parable after parable after parable. We hear the Word of God. But the question is, how do you hear it? Do you hear it and you run to the truth and say, boy, I need to change something? Or do you hear it and self-justify? Well, that's not really for me. I know Jesus said that, but... See, we've all been there. We've all heard the excuses. I know the Bible says that, but you know, i got such a peace about it. Yeah? Oh, I know the Bible says that, but, you, but listen, I've prayed about it. I know the Bible says that, but mine is a special situation. Yes or no? See, that's the point of these verses. The Pharisees heard all the truth. 
The Pharisees lived in the Old Testament law. The Pharisees heard the teachings and they took them and they twisted them and they manipulated them to self-justify. See, the question, that same question, it doesn't matter, by the way, if the teaching is about money or the teaching is about divorce or the teaching is about gossip. That's not the point. The point is, what do you do with it? The very first parable we studied back in April, Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Does them. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain is going to come and the floods are going to come and the winds are going to blow and that house is going to stand strong because it's founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is a fool is a fool because he's building his house on sand and the wind's going to come and, the, and, and, and it's going to blow and the rains are going to come and the flood's going to come and that house is going to be torn down and it's going to fall because it's not built on the rock. Again, it doesn't matter the teaching. That, the, the point this morning, Jesus used divorce as an example. But it doesn't matter if the teaching is money or you shouldn't gossip or whatever. There's two, there's the questions are still the same. Do we hear and obey or do we hear and self-justify? Next week we'll get to verse 19 where Jesus will pick up with the rich man and Lazarus and we'll be there for a couple weeks. So we'll be here uh, in, in chapter 16 for at least two more weeks. Let's pray. Father.